You're listening to the Coffee and Clergy Podcast. I'm Pastor Scott, and we're glad that you're joining us today. You can watch us live on YouTube or Facebook on Wednesdays at 9.30 a.m. Central. And you can always give us a listen on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Without further ado, grab a cup of joe, find a comfy chair, and enjoy the conversation. I'm Pastor Scott Pitch, and we're glad to have you here with us today for a brand new study. Uh, last week we com- concluded the Gospel of Mark, and we're moving on to something something new today. Hopefully applicable. Yeah, hopefully we applicable. About who we are as people of God. Yeah, we've got. Yeah, now we're on. Okay. Thank you. All right. And make sure our mics are on and. Well, welcome to Coffee and Clergy. Um, I'm Pastor Scott. He's yeah, Pastor Doug Pastor Chinberg. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're moving forward uh, into a new study today. Uh, we were in the Gospel of Mark, and we think this is kind of a timely study. Um, we had our election, well, I was going to say last Tuesday, but really all of last week. <laughs> and so it's kind of fresh on people's minds, this topic of, of uh, you know, civil discourse and elections and the government and things like that. And so... We decided it would be a good idea for us to step out of a direct uh, reading of, of a biblical, you know, book or or a, a particular, um, you know, gospel or something like that, and step into a topic which was on people's minds. So we're we're stepping into a discussion about how the there's an intersection between um, government and the authorities of this world and our, the church and the the authorities of God. And who we are as people of God and how we live in this world. And, so, uh, yeah, we're calling it dual <laughs> citizenship. Um, and the idea here is that as Christian people, we don't simply claim to be Christians, nor as citizens of America that are Christians do we simply claim to be Americans. We carry dual citizenships. We carry citizenship in God's kingdom and in this place, this, uh, this nation we live in, the United States. Yeah. So, on the one hand, God tells us we're not, uh, um, this isn't our home, this world, and yet uh, uh, we, so we know there's an eternal home, but uh, at the same time, we do live here. Yeah. But before we get into it, we should probably open, probably open, with, a, yeah. open with a prayer. So, I'll, I'll pray if you'll join me. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this new opportunity uh, to discuss a pretty important topic, something that's not only important today and contemporary mindset, but something which is important to you, and that's how our country operates, how our people are governed, and how the, the rulers of this nation uh, are just in their, um, in their ruling. And so, oh Lord, we pray you would guide our discussion, that it would be spirit-filled, that your thoughts and your uh, words would fill our mouths and our, and our ears and our hearts, that we would uh, come to a greater understanding and a greater um, a greater uh, knowledge of your will for our lives. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. So, we're not going chapter by chapter in your Bibles, but it might still be good for you to have a Bible on your, um, on your table for reference in case we mention uh, a Bible verse or two throughout the discussion. But 
Before we begin, this is going to be a six-week series, and so I thought a good way to begin would be for us to walk through what the, um, what the topics are going to be. And so um, I'm going to pull them up on my phone because I actually forgot to bring the list with me. Oh, I've got it here. Oh, do you have it? Yeah. Okay, I think I left the last page in my office. So, okay. um, so today we are, we are discussing a topic called Two Realms, One Kingdom. Um, now, typically in, in Lutheran circles, as we're talking about the interaction between government and the church, we talk about a doctrine called the Two Kingdoms uh, theology, the Two Kingdoms doctrine. And this was a, an idea that was uh, developed during Martin Luther's time. It was actually something that was very important to him. Um, we are going to talk about it in, in terms of realms, uh, which is how Martin Luther actually most of the time referred to it. We call it two kingdoms because it kind of flows for us, but he actually used the term uh, realms or something akin to realms, whatever the German word for realms is. So it wasn't strictly kingdoms, instead it was um, areas of authority. So realms is a good way of, of speaking about it. And so um, before we begin, I want to cover, like I said, the, the uh, studies to li- that lie ahead. So we're starting today with a discussion and an overview of the two realms and what it means that we live in two realms, what those two realms are, how God operates in the two realms, and how he calls us to operate in those two realms. Then next time, we're going to talk about the, the idea of Christian vocation. Um, and we'll get into what that means, but on the surface level, that means that, that last part of that statement that I just made, how Christians are called to operate in those realms. And so we'll talk about that in greater detail next time. Uh, on, in week three, we're going to talk about just government and what God looks for and what he institutes governments here on this uh, earth to do. And so we'll look at what it means to have a government that that rules and applies its laws justly. Um, week four, we'll talk about Christian accountability in America, and we'll talk about what our responsibility is when it comes to being Christians who are Americans and how we are citizens in this nation. Uh, week five, we'll talk about the issues that God cares about, where we'll dig into issues where God's Word speaks in great detail about concerns in our political spectrum today, and so that should be an interesting discussion. And then we'll wrap the whole study up by talking about the object of our faith and hope, and where we as Christian Americans put our ultimate hope. And so um, should be a good, a good discussion over these six weeks, and we hope you can join us for all of these. Just a reminder, in addition to the video that we're going to be doing on Wednesday mornings live, those videos are shared on Facebook and on YouTube, and we also uh, make it into a podcast form, so you can find us later on on podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts from. So. Very good. All right, so let's dig yeah. into it then. Jump into the two realms. Yep. And, um, and again, we... Um, we say two realms, but one kingdom. Why mm-hmm. do we say one kingdom? We say one kingdom because there's one king, right? Okay. Uh, as Christians, we believe that the ultimate authority in heaven and on earth is God. Yes. Quite simply stated, that's, that's what we believe. And so it's, it would be incongruous for us to say on the one hand, we have God as the authority over the church, but then on the other hand to say God has no authority in the way that our government 
legislates us or mm -hmm. the way that we vote in the voting booth. So we say God is the king of all things. And so even though we talk about two realms, or even if you mention it as two kingdoms, really it's just one kingdom operating in two different ways. So And, and God is the king of both both, both kingdoms, both realms. Mm -hmm. um, so he created them, he made them, he governs them, um, but in different ways. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we'll talk about. So maybe there's a, um, maybe we should talk a little bit about uh, citizenship. What, is, what does it mean to be a citizen uh, in these two realms? Sure. And, and even what does it mean to be a citizen um, uh, in general? Yeah, well, just generic, if we say we are citizen, we have citizenship, a dual citizenship, in both of these realms, it's important to, to talk about that word because it can mean different things depending on what country you live in, right? The, if you are a citizen of one country, it can mean the difference between, uh, if you're a citizen in one country, it can mean that you have no rights. And a citizen of another country, it can mean you have okay. lavish rights, right? Yeah. And so it's um, citizenship, really, I would kind of define it as, as a person who is subject to the, um, the laws and the restrictions, but also the benefits, rights, and privileges of uh, the authority in the country that they live in. So the governments, the king, the, the legislature. The, the laws the that laws. are given. Mm -hmm. And so it's simply, it's simply someone who gets both the, the benefits and the responsibilities of being a part of that nation. So being a citizen means you must pay taxes. I mean, every government, I think, in the world requires taxes of their citizens in order for them to operate. And yet there are, uh, like I said, there's varying levels of this, but every citizen receives to some degree or another a benefit for being a part of that nation. You receive the benefits of uh, defense against conquering armies of other nations. You receive the benefits of law and order to prevent, to make it where if someone, you know, murders a member of your family, that justice can be brought. Um, Here in America, we have the right to worship Yep. the way that we would like to, although not every country has that same, that same privilege yep. and right. Yeah, and so it's important to make that distinction that citizenship is not the same everywhere that you look. Okay. Now, when we start talking about citizenship in these two realms, we're talking about it since we're Americans, and many of you, I'm sure, are Americans. Um, then we'll talk about it in terms of how we can be a citizen in this nation of the United States. But this is a very different discussion when you talk about two realms in China or in uh, Pakistan. There's very different meaning behind what it means to be a dual citizen. And yet we would still say that Christians in those countries still have dual citizenship. They are still um, citizens of God's kingdom and citizens of the left, well, we'll talk about the, the left-hand realm in a minute, and citizens of that government, nation, that, that country. Government. And so um, it's important that we um, realize that this is not something that it, it makes sense just for Americans or just for 1500s German citizens or citizens of the Holy Roman Empire. It makes sense for all humans throughout all time. And so it's something that we, uh, we should be aware of. I think this idea of the two realms is frankly one of the greatest contributions of the Lutheran Church throughout Christian doctrine and in the, the practice uh, thereof within, within countries. There's a lot of good doctrine that came out of the Reformation, a lot of yeah. good ideas that came from, from Martin Luther, but I think this one is one that is time-tested. It's one that when it 
when people know it and operate by this doctrine, it brings uh, unity, it brings health in a nation and amongst the people. And so it's a good good place to start the discussion, I think. That doesn't mean it's always comfortable. No, it's uh, definitely not comfortable there, at times. Right? But there are a lot of benefits. And, yep. and so as, as faithful Christian people, um, how shall we live? We can talk about America or other countries, but what are, what are some of the traits of Christian people as we live out our life? Yeah, so we would say in our, in our, rural, in our realm or our in, in our role, that's what I'm trying to say, uh, as dual citizens, that we in this country as Christians are at the same time called to be faithful Christians by God as citizens of his eternal kingdom, and we are called to be dutiful citizens of our nation here in America. And so your, your question is, what kinds of traits do faithful Christians exhibit? Well, I would say faithful Christians are people who uh, attend worship, they're people who receive the gifts of the body and blood of Christ and the word and the sacrament on Sundays. They're people who carry the message of the scriptures and the message that they receive here in this place and take it out into the world, in their workplaces, in their homes, in the public sector um, of voting and citizenship. And so that's definitely a trait that, that Christians have is they are people who are um, who are moral people who follow God's law, who acknowledge that they are sinners and in need of grace. Uh, they are people who are humble, not haughty and, yeah. and, and puffed up. Um, and I, I also think about, um, I guess I, one of my thoughts goes back even to Genesis chapter 1 mm -hmm. uh, as faithful people of what God has given us when God created the world. Um, he gave, told Adam and Eve to, uh, to rule over the world, the mm -hmm. animals and all that's in it. And so um, uh, a part of one of the traits that we have as God's people is to take care of his world. Yeah, which we call what? Um, which we call the, the first article stuff. Yeah. And, uh, but that would also, um, we've, we've already started to mention the left kingdom and the right kingdom. Uh, Pastor Scott was talking a lot about the right hand kingdom. Mm -hmm. um, things that we do as Christians in connection with the church. Um, if we talk about the left-hand kingdom, that's the responsibilities and traits um, that we have as people that are in the left-handed kingdom or the left-handed realm, mm -hmm. which is uh, a citizen of this country. Yeah. So I, what I was getting at when you started talking about having dominion and ownership of the earth is we're in the middle of a sermon series on stewardship and the yeah. importance of being good stewards of God's gifts. And so I would say that's another trait of a faithful Christian is that we have many blessings in this life and we are called to be good stewards. And I guess another good answer would be to let God tell us what is a faithful Christian looks like. And mm -hmm. we have many examples of this, but one that I'm thinking of are, are the fruits of the Spirit, right? That okay. the fruits of the Spirit are, are produced by people who are faithful in, mm -hmm. and have faith in Christ. And as a good tree with good roots produces good fruit, so too do Christians who are rooted in God's Word. And those fruits of the Spirit, uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, goodness. Faithfulness, faithfulness, gentleness, gentleness and self-control. Nice. Got them yeah. all. <laughs> uh, an, another, um, a, another trait of Christians is that we have the mind of Christ. Mm -hmm. And so how do we have the mind of Christ, whether we are doing church work or whether we're out in the world? Mm -hmm. um, but um, uh, we, we have the mind of Christ, I think, of, of Philippians chapter 2 that talks about Jesus being a, a, a servant. He humbled himself even, even to the point of death. 
Um, and so we are, we are God's humble servants meant to serve, to care for others, and, um, and help those in need. Yeah. So before we move on, this is where I was going to take an opportunity to really dig into the left and right. And so we would say that to our calling to be a faithful Christian falls under our responsibilities in the right-hand realm. And the right-hand realm is simply stated, it's a way of putting it, is God's authority over his heavenly and eternal kingdom, which is given in this world through the church. Um, God established the church to, to give forgiveness and to provide his means of grace, to announce salvation for all mankind, to teach and make disciples. And so all of these things fit under God's authority uh, in the right-hand kingdom. Uh, we, he gives the authority to forgive sins to Christians. He gives the authority to announce Christ's death and resurrection for forgiveness for us. He gives authority to simple bread and wine and simple water to transform and forgive sins, to transform sinners into saints. And so um, all, of these, all of this authority it, it's God's. And we wouldn't, ar- no one would really argue that the authority of the church is God's authority. The, the kind of trick comes when you start talking about the left hand. We'll get to in a minute. Yeah, we but, like to talk about the separation of church and state. Mm-hmm. And there's um, sometimes people in America have one idea about that. And we'll talk about how Luther um, had a, a similar idea, but yet it was a little bit different than what we think about oftentimes here in America. Yep. It is, and we'll get. Yeah. We're going to talk about that in in a minute. So I'll I'll kind of table that. So let's move on to the next question. So what we talked about what traits um, faithful Christians exhibit. We can also talk about what traits dutiful Americans. So we said that that a discussion of dual citizenship is the intersection in our life of being at the same time a faithful Christian and a dutiful American. So if we are both. What kinds of traits do, um, do dutiful Americans have? So maybe let's talk about that. Yeah, they support the government. Uh, they follow the laws. They, um, they, they can help those in need. Um, uh, they encourage others uh, not to break the law. And, um, um, and they, they support the, the order of government that, that uh, our government has established. That doesn't mean we always agree with everything Mm -hmm. that the government has established, but here in America, uh, because we're a democratic republic, uh, we recognize that um, we as the people uh, are, we help shape the government. Yeah, we are a part of that ruling authority. Yeah, and and at the same time, we also have representatives, and so we, we vote for representatives, uh, we encourage them to, uh, to write up certain laws that are beneficial for mm-hmm. the country and for others. And so we, uh, we support our representatives as they represent us mm-hmm. in office. Yeah. So those are just a few ways. And I mean, there's other ways too. There's... Um, We're going to do the mic shift real here, but I'll keep talking while, while okay. they're doing that. So... Um, what were we talking about? Okay, uh, so it, citizens in America, even if they aren't faithful Christians, have many responsibilities. There's um, to obey the law, to uh, 
to pay taxes, to, um, if you're a male over 18, to register um, in selective service, I mean, to be willing to be drafted by, uh, during a time of war. There, there are many different responsibilities that, that people have, but there are also many benefits. We receive, once again, like I talked about, the, the blessing of government to um, defend us against a foreign aggressor, to defend us against criminals who might seek to harm us. We also receive uh, other benefits in this country that are, that are unique. We have um, the benefits of, of uh, great medical coverage, and we can get into a whole political discussion yeah. on you know, Medicare, Medicaid, and private insurance and things. But We can talk about the rights mm -hmm. that we have, uh, the rights of Americans, or the free speech mm -hmm. that we have. Bill of Rights are, are a huge um, advancement in human... Um, human governance. I mean, no one had ever put to paper before the the rights, uh, if you want to call them that. And then we could we could contest that that framework in a Christian term, but in American and civil terms, rights are are written on a piece of paper that have that has existed throughout the entire history of our nation that tell us not what we can do, but what the government can't do. And that's pretty. A pretty interesting uh, concept. Concept, yeah. yeah, and one that that in in the test of time has proven to be, uh, I think, a very uh, potent uh, way of governing. And so, um, yeah. So the traits of dutiful Americans. Uh, honestly, when we talked about Christians, we talked about the fruits of the spirit, and we talked about personality traits that Christians have. And there are actually a lot of intersecting personality traits between dutiful citizens who follow the law and dutiful Christians who follow God's law, yeah. who are moral people, who, um, who obey authority and honor uh, right rule, who are contributors to the general welfare and care for people. Um, dutiful citizens and Faithful Christians intersect in a lot of ways. Yeah, one of the, oh, excuse me. I was going to say, that's not to say that they're identical, but there are a lot of intersections. Yeah, one of the things I was going to say is um, uh, one of the neat things about Lutheran theology is that there's a, uh, we're often held in tension. Mm -hmm. And um, this, the, being a part of these two realms in the kingdom of God uh, is another example of holding us in tension. Yep. Um, and so they, um, and we'll talk a little bit about this later, they, they actually complement each other, but they, um, they still hold us accountable, both kingdoms, mm -hmm. uh, as God does his work in the life of his people. Yeah. Luther liked his distinctions, right? You have yeah. law and gospel. You have kingdom of the left and kingdom of the right, and you have... Uh, justification, justification and sanctification. sanctification. Yeah, and you have uh, justified and sinner at the same time. Yeah. And, are, and so it's just a, a very interesting uh, dynamic dynamic thing. that Luther liked to sh to use to showcase the the contradictions of a Christian life, and yet through those contradictions, how God's grace floods the Christian life. And so it's a really um, really interesting uh, way that Luther liked to approach things, and it definitely plays out that way here in our two kind in our two kingdoms. So. Yeah, another interesting question is what expectations should citizens have of their nation? Yeah, and uh, so what what should we as American citizens what should we expect from our uh, from those who are gover the governing authorities. Yeah. You, you get the sense that, that given enough time where government is slowly moving away from, from its traditional roots, that a lot of Christians are kind of jaded about 
the government, and they have decided that the, the path forward is to, to become apathetic about what the government is doing, and that's not something that we as Christians should really do. Apathetic or become like an anarchist sure. that, that tries to overthrow the government. Yeah, he tries, yeah. So, yeah. so one of the, the expectations I think that we should have of government is that since we as Christians and as Lutheran Christians now understand that the kingdom of the left is God's kingdom, even though it's the, the authority, we would say, is in presidents and in congressmen and in the Constitution and in the people. But we would say that the authority given to all of those, source, all of those uh, ends begins at the source that is God. And so we would say God is the source of all authority in heaven and on earth, meaning in our governments. And so we as Christian people should hold our governments to a basic... Uh, a basic understanding that they should not be violating God's purpose for their very existence. We, we often call that the natural laws that God has given. We do, yeah. And so um, what are some of those natural laws that we should expect our government uh, to adhere to, to follow? Yep. Um, as we, as we live within this realm yeah. of America. So this is where it's important to distinguish between the right and the left when it comes to our government. God is not trying to announce his salvation through the president. He's not trying to create a, a grace-filled environment of Christ's death and resurrection for all American people. He's not trying to do that, but what God is trying to do through the government is to make sure that justice is done, that the law is upheld, uh, that um, there is good, good administration of uh, resources, that, that people are not uh, hard oppressed by their, their leaders. And so these are the areas where we as Christians should have expectations of our government. We shouldn't have an expectation whatsoever that our president should be a preacher, that our Congress people should be deacons in their church. But what we should have an expectation of our leaders is that they are, they are men of good character, men or women of good character, that they are moral people, that they uphold justice, and that they um, create policies which uh, advance the general welfare mm -hmm. rather than harm it. And I, I think of some of the natural laws, we can look at the Ten Commandments and we see these laws um, mm -hmm. that are shared by countries all over the world. Uh, such as, um, you know, that, that life is sacred. Mm -hmm. Don't kill. Don't kill. About every government in the world and the church has yeah. that on their yeah. um, guiding documents. Uh, yeah. Don't steal. Mm -hmm. um, respect those in authority. Mm -hmm. um, um, don't lie. Don't lie. Um, don't be deceptive, mm -hmm. um, whether, whether it's with a, a neighbor or with the government. Mm -hmm. Um, so to be honest, to speak the truth. Um, uh, and I, I would even say that a part of the natural law is recognizing that there is a God, even yeah. though we don't talk about the specific God. You know, you can look at different uh, religious practices, but the recognition that, that God is God yeah. and, and he, is, he has given the, these laws for everyone to uphold. It's a, it's a rational conclusion to draw that there is a God when you look around you in the world and without a spoken, even without a spoken word from God, there is still an innate natural law written in people's hearts saying it is wrong to kill, it is wrong to steal, it is wrong to lie. 
And no one had to tell us these things. We just know it. Yeah. Right? As a society, we, over the, the course of history, we've taken what's naturally known to all people and we put it on paper. But it, we didn't have to have it on paper to know that it's wrong to kill somebody, that it's right. wrong to steal. And that's true. And so, yeah, I guess the, going back to the question, the expectation of citizens at the very base level should be that the government doesn't violate natural law, right? I think that's a good place to start. And then that builds, uh, that builds to the point where we see that one of the most important pieces of God's authority, which is given to governments in his left-hand realm, is that there would be justice, that, that the law, meaning here the natural law, would not be violated, that people would have a fair um, chance at living a life where their, they're, you could say God-given rights, but I would say their protection under God's law is upheld and defended. So. Yeah, rights is another interesting mm-hmm. thing that we could spend a lot, a lot of time on. And I'll, ju- I'll just throw out a little teaser here. You know, if, if you look in the Bible, we're never told any place in Scripture of our rights. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but we do have rights as citizens of America. We do. yep. And uh, we're thankful for that. Absolutely. And, uh, and we celebrate that. And uh, that's a part of who we are in the left-handed kingdom. And in understanding it in the left-hand kingdom, we would say that those rights have been given to us by God. We would say not that God, you know, put down from on high the fact that we had rights and we were instituted with rights from the very beginning. But what we would say is that God cared for us and gave us sound government, gave us wise men to write the Constitution so that the, what we call rights— and, and I, I think a, maybe a good word uh, I, that I like to use is gifts. Gifts. Mm-hmm. God has given us certain gifts. Yeah, because we're not guaranteed our rights by any force other than the government. You know, a wolf doesn't care what your rights are. No, no. <laughs> you know, uh, an earthquake doesn't care what your rights are. A hurricane doesn't care what your rights are. Um, the sinful world, the devil doesn't care what your rights are. Um, but that's a, yeah. So and we've and, on and even as a Christian, it's not like we go to God and say, uh, you know, you, you have to give me this right to life, mm-hmm. to live. Uh, God can take our life at any time. Yep. And it's, it's a gift that he gives to us, and he wants us to be a, a good steward. We talked about stewardship yeah. earlier. Uh, he wants us to, to, to use the gifts that he's given us in good and wise ways uh, where we serve our neighbor, help our neighbor, uh, especially those in need. Yeah. Well, all right, shall we move on to the next topic? So we, we talked a little bit about the, the doctrine of the two kingdoms, so or two realms, we could call it. Um, so we'll skip that first question, I guess. We've talked okay. about what it is. But let's talk about what factors um, during Luther's time made him interested in the topic of the church and the government. Okay, L- Luther lived at a very interesting time. Mm-hmm. It, it, again, the government that he was under is very different than... Uh, the government that we're under here in America today. And so in, in Luther's day, they had an emperor mm-hmm. and an empire. And within that empire, there were, um, it was kind of the, the, the feudal system. They had um, different governors and, and others in authority over different realms or kingdoms mm-hmm. um, uh, all, throughout, um, all throughout Europe. Yeah. And... Um, but there was one emperor, yep. and um, 
but often again, and and how those uh, how those people were chosen or selected mm -hmm. is very different than our country today too, yeah. uh, where we have a, a process where we vote people into a position. Um, oftentimes, the the emperor would select someone. And oftentimes it, it even depended on how much they could pay him mm -hmm. um, so that they could rule a certain realm or kingdom. Yeah. And, uh, um, and so, um, and oftentimes people um, had to pay a great amount uh, to rule over their people. But they would try and make up some of that income as they would tax their mm -hmm. people. and Because um, um, they would conquer other countries, they would require them to pay money after they beat them, things like that. Yeah. yeah. So without getting too much into the, into the history, because this is not going to be a, a history study so much as it is going to be a discussion of this, this doctrine, but to, to get into the, the history behind this, in summary, there were, a lot of, there were a lot of instances where the two realms were very confused during Luther's time, yes. where the church had entered too much into the left-hand realm's responsibilities, where they were too concerned with, with finances, they were too concerned with militaries, they were too concerned with um, placement of kings and rulers, they were too concerned with all of these things that are, are responsibilities given by God to the left-hand realm. And then they also had leaders like this emperor and other leaders across Europe who were too... Um, doing too much in the right-hand realm where they were claiming their authority under um, God and, and they were um, seeking to gain more authority uh, by, inf by their influence in the church. And they were working with what's, what was called investiture, which is how, how priests are put into place to say that it was their responsibility as the king and the ruler of that country to put bishops and priests and, and, and deacons in the place. And so you see there's a lot of instances where the, the right-hand realm and the left-hand realm had kind of started intersecting and overweaving. confused. Yeah. yeah. And, it was, and Luther was one of the first people to kind of give it a name. I think a lot of people saw what was happening and knew that something was not right. And Luther was the first one to kind of say, distinct distinctly because he likes distinctions right that there needs to be a left hand and this is where their boundary stops and there needs to be a right hand and this is where their boundary stops and the two don't cross responsibilities but instead they complement each other and, and support actually each support each other and build yeah. each other up yeah. and so luther in especially later in life was a great advocate not only of the the authority of the church but he was a great advocate of the authority of the state as well and the yeah. government as well. He was actually close friends with the, the ruler in the town where he lived in, in Wittenberg. And so, yeah. um, uh, I was going to mention one of, the, one of the areas of confusion where the, where the church overstepped its boundaries is uh, when, when if different rulers wouldn't do what the church asked them to do, they would, they would threaten them by excommunicating them from the church. Mm -hmm. uh, that word excommunication means that they were no longer a part of the church. They no longer could receive uh, the rights and benefits of God's kingdom and grace. And, and so that was a very, uh, very threatening thing to people who, um, um, who longed, and longed for salvation with God. If mm -hmm. the church cut them off, uh, they were, uh, in, a, in effect, saying, you no longer have eternal salvation with yeah. God. You're going to be thrown into hell. Um, and so unless you do what I say, 
uh, I'm going to excommunicate you. That was uh, one of the real threats that the church used. And, and uh, one of the things that Luther did is he, he in distinguishing those two, uh, he said, no, that's not the proper place uh, for the church to act, mm-hmm. and uh, they're, they're, tr- they're overstepping their authority. Yeah. Say, and the excommunication is actually part of the authority of the church, but it's the manner in which they were utilizing it as a governmental cudgel, a left-handed weapon, that Luther was like, that's not how this is meant to be used. Right. This is meant to be used as a church discipline. Uh, it's the, one of the final measures of church discipline is that you cast an unrepentant brother away from the church so that he can see the error of his ways and seek to return. Repent and come back. And, yeah. but, but Luther, he was excommunicated. Yeah. You know, he, he, he knew exp, you know, yeah. directly and intimately what it meant to be a victim of this kind of, of attack. And he said it's not right. And we need to call out the church for its misuse of left hand authority. Uh-huh. Yeah, the, the same way we call use of, of that yeah. authority. And the same way we need to, as Christians and citizens of our country, call out our government for improper use of right-hand authority. So mm-hmm. it's got, it's got a, we need to find the balance, and we as Christian citizens are at the center of those two realms at work, and we are meant to call out both for improper use of their authority. Yeah, so. we've talked a little bit about it, but what does the doctrine of the, the two kingdoms or the two realms say about God? Yeah. What does it say about God? That God's, I think it says that God's love for us is found in multiple ways. If God's only source of love for us was found in the church, there are a lot of people out there then that God doesn't love because not everybody's in the church. Mm-hmm. If God's only love for us was expressed in the fact that we had sound government, that would be a bad thing because we would not have the revelation of salvation through Christ. So an example of God's love for people in the left-handed realm or in the, uh, in the governmental realm is that, again, uh, God um, <laughs> demands the government to be just yep. so that people are treated fairly and, and justly. And um, uh, that's one of the ways that God demonstrates his love, mm-hmm. uh, that uh, the government should help with the poor. That doesn't mean... Only the government, because the church has a, has a hand in helping with those in need as well. Um, but that's another example of uh, the left-handed realm uh, supporting those in need. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I think that's the main thing that this, this doctrine of two realms says about God is that we have two realms and God's authority is exerted because he loves us. This is where it's an important thing to talk about the fourth commandment. When we say, honor your father and your mother, it seems at first strange why God would care about that until you realize that it's an, it's an expression of God's authority. Um, that he's saying, in effect, by honoring your father and mother, you're honoring me. And God's authority at times seems harsh and it seems unloving, but in reality, his authority is always loving for those who are his people. Yeah. So. Uh, so I, I think of the, the meaning of the fourth article. What does this mean? Uh, we should fear and love God that we do not despise our parents or those in authority, yep. uh, but give them honor, serve and obey them, hold them in love and esteem. Mm. And, um, and we do that as um, God controls the world in both the left and the right-handed kingdom. Yeah. And so, yeah, and then, and then so it, it, we know what the doctrine of two realms says about God, but what does it say about citizens? Okay, um, let's uh, talk about that for a minute. tells us that we are accountable to God. Mm-hmm. Um, we're accountable to God b- 
both in the left-handed kingdom and in the right-handed kingdom. Yeah. So in the left-handed kingdom, uh, we're accountable to God uh, to be dutiful citizens, to mm -hmm. follow the law, uh, to keep justice, um, uh, to honor others uh, in the world. And uh, in the right-handed kingdom, uh, we're accountable to God. Um, uh, first and foremost, that in the relationship with God that we have, uh, we want to honor Him above all things. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, then we, um, and then we follow um, um, the words against the gifts that he's given us. We use those gifts in a, in a good and faithful way, uh, whether that's uh, proclaiming the gospel, um, whether that's uh, baptizing and teaching and, and uh, administrating the other sacrament uh, of, of the Lord's Supper. Um, uh, we're faithful with the gifts that God has given us. Mm -hmm. We, we carry with us a great responsibility, and we have with us a great power. It's kind of that, that uh, Spider-Man premise. I don't know if you... Yeah. When Uncle Ben dies and, and Peter Parker is there with him, he says, with great power comes great responsibility. And that, to me, is a good expression of the two realms theology and how it applies to citizens. God has given us this creation, he says in Genesis, and that the way it applies to us today is through his authority of the right and left. And we are given a great power in our influence here in the United States in the kingdom of the left. But we are also given a great a a power in the right-hand kingdom as his people, the church. But we also have an intense amount of responsibility in both realms as well. And mm -hmm. that calling is one we should take seriously. So what does this doctrine of the two realms say about government? It says that government is an instrument of God. Okay. Uh, <laughs> quite simply. So it's created by God. Mm -hmm. um, and accountable to God. Accountable to God. So they, those in governing positions are, are also accountable to God. Yeah. And, um, and here in America, um, again, one of the freedoms that we have is uh, to proclaim um, uh, the gospel, both, uh, to proclaim both the law and the gospel. And so um, uh, one of the... Um, opportunities that we have is, uh, again, because we're a government by the people and for the people, mm -hmm. is that we can step in and speak to um, injustice. Um, uh, we can speak to, um, uh, to those in need, and we can speak directly to the government. And, um, uh, and God gives us um, that's, that's a part of how our government works here in America. Yeah. As, as uh, Lincoln would say, we are a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. So yeah. um, if something's wrong with the government, guess what? That finger gets pointed right back at us yeah. because we are the government in, in essence. The people are the ones who rule here. Uh, an, another thought is that the government must never demand something that God forbids, mm -hmm. and they must never forbid something that God demands. Yeah, that's true. And so that's uh, uh, another part of how God holds them accountable um, and how we work with the government to, to bring that about. Mm -hmm. And we, that means we as Christians need to be aware of what the government's doing. We can't bury our heads in the sand when it comes to political and government matters, mm -hmm. nor should we dive wholeheartedly into C-SPAN and spend every waking moment doing that. It's a, it's a balance like anything else in this Christian life, but we cannot allow ourselves to be ignorant of what our yeah. rulers are doing and because we need to be able to put them to task when they violate God's plan and we need to encourage them to fulfill 
what God has in mind. It's easy for some who live in our country not to make waves with the government. Mm -hmm. And so they just, they say, I'll lead a quiet life and not interfere. And, and that's really not what God would have us do. Mm -hmm. uh, he wants us to speak up if there is an injustice. Um, he wants us, uh, may call for a demonstration. Um, uh, that, um, a peaceful demonstration yeah. and, um, not at one where property is destroyed or lives are lost. Mm -hmm. um, but there are, there are times to stand up and say no to the government. You've stepped too far. You've gone too far. Yep. And, uh, and to hold them accountable. Yeah. That's one of the, the beautiful things about our nation is that in order to facilitate change, oftentimes what it requires is uh, insistence and patience. Not violence and not... Uh, you know, not cowardly um, disobedience, but rather obedience and through obedience and through uh, utilizing the voice that we have to speak for those who have no voice, then we can influence change. And I think that's why America is actually a great nation for Christians to operate within, because the framework for which change in the government can happen fits the way that that, that Christians should uh, try and influence change in the government. We simply need to be involved in that process. Um, and once again, you said this, this doesn't mean go out, go down and go out to the city and start tearing things down. That's not pleasing to God. That is a violation of his fourth commandment to us to honor our authority. Instead, we utilize the proper channels by which we bring redress to the government, if you want to use constitutional terms, uh, to, to seek change in the authority. So, okay. All right, on this next page, let's, uh, since we've talked about what the right and left are, maybe let's talk specifics now. Let's okay. get down into the nitty and gritty of some, of some ways that God's authority in, in specific terms is at work today in the right hand kingdom. So maybe let's talk about that for okay, a few The right-hand kingdom, again, is the, the church at work in the world. And so uh, what God has given us um, um, as, as our authority is the Word of God. Yeah. Uh, so God's Word is, a, is our authority. Um, and while there are things that sometimes God neither demands nor forbids, we've got a special term that we use for that, adiaphora. Adiaphora. But... Um, um, but we are specifically to do those things that God does command us to do. And we are not to do those things that God um, forbids us to do. Mm -hmm. and, <clears throat> but his, his word is our authority. And uh, again, one of the terms that we use in the Lutheran church, um, we make a distinction between the law and the gospel. We use both. We, use, we speak the law to those who are unrepentant sinners. Uh, we speak the gospel to those who are repentant sinners and uh, to, to comfort them, uh, to strengthen them, to cause them to look to God and trust in Him. Yeah. So when we, when we start talking about distinctions, I think a lot of times in Lutheran circles, it, be, it can become easy to boil everything down to law and gospel because we speak that language so much. One of the things we need to be careful about doing is I think a lot of times we think the right-hand kingdom is the, is, is the gospel and the left-hand kingdom is the law. 
Now, there, you could say that in the right-hand kingdom, the gospel predominates, but we know that the law, that the law also has a word in a the purpose. church and a purpose in the yeah. church. And we would say that in the left-hand kingdom, the law predominates because God wants things to go the way that he designed them to go, and we know that he uses the law for that. But we also know that in the left-hand kingdom, God gives his good gifts to people, and so the, the gospel is still there. And so it's not a clean-cut distinction that this one's bad, this one's good, this one's law, this one's gospel. Both operate, both law and gospel operate in both realms, but we would say that the gospel predominates in the right-hand realm and the law predominates in the left. So, um, so yeah, we see specific things in the, in the right-hand kingdom, uh, in, in God's eternal kingdom in the church that's, that's at work today. So let's ask that same question of the left-hand kingdom. What are some specific ways in which God's authority is at work today in the left-hand kingdom? Okay, God, as you mentioned, God uses the laws of the land. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, so, and we also have the opportunity, opportunity here in America to establish new laws. If we, if we see that something is, uh, is better, we can, um, we can talk to our representatives and encourage them to uh, write a new law that addresses the situation. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and give the rationale behind it and, and identify the needs that are there. And, um, uh, but the primary authority in the left, left-handed kingdom in the, in the government, uh, again, as you mentioned, is the law. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Should we move on to the distinctions? Okay. Yeah, so um, let's talk about the idea of church and state now. We, every American knows that phrase, right? The separation of church and state. So first, for starters, let's talk about what that is. Um, this is a concept that, that we call a Jeffersonian concept because it came about in the discussions. Uh, not, not simply Thomas Jefferson advocated for this, but he was a big advocate for it, that the thing that would prevent a government from becoming a corrupt theocracy is to create a, a barrier where church and state uh, exist simultaneously, but they never really uh, confer with one another. And simultaneously, a lot of people would say that the church benefits by having a separation from the state so that the state cannot mandate things of the church. So let's talk about what the, um, the distinction between this idea of separation of church and state and the two realms doctrine, what, what the differences are there. So go ahead if you... Oftentimes we think, uh, you mentioned it here in America, we talk about the separation of church and state so that uh, uh, um, we think that there should be no interaction. Uh, the, the downside of that is that some people uh, get the wrong idea uh, that the church should never speak up. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the sh- church should not point out if there is an injustice that's done, yeah. uh, or that the church should not speak out, for example, uh, uh, against abortion. We recognize that, uh, that there is a sanctity to life, uh, that God has given that gift. Um, and, um, and that's one of the areas that uh, um, some people would say with the separation of church and state, um, the church has no right to speak, mm-hmm. and they need to be quiet. They need to go off in the corner, and that's not at all what Luther talked about. Yeah. Quite the opposite, in <clears> fact, <throat> whereas I think the Jeffersonian concept of separation of church and state creates a rift between the two authorities. Mm-hmm. God's 
actual intent is that the two would complement and support each other. That they have different roles, and that's, you could call a separation. But there's not an actual separation in the source of the authority given to these places, and so therefore there's no true uh, separation in the end result. That God wants to work his good through both of these institutions. And so... Luther would not, he was not here, obviously, when the Constitution was written, but had he been here to read that clause, my guess is he would have protested and said that this is not healthy. Because we know um, that the, the church and the state, while they can become too intermeshed, um, which is what Luther saw, and I think that's also what Thomas Jefferson is trying to prevent, and not just Thomas Jefferson, but the early um, constitutional writers were trying to prevent that intermeshing and confusing of the roles. But whereas Luther and the constitution writers see the same problem, they have different different uh, ways to, ways work, to through work through it. And so we would say that, that Luther's, I think, is a more nuanced and beautiful method, and it's not Luther's way, it's God's way, let's be frank, it's where the church and the state, they're not separated, they're not too distinct things. <clears throat> They're still interwoven, <clears throat> excuse me, in their purpose uh, and in their execution of fulfilling God's good work, but we need to create distinctions so that they do not, um, do not start wielding as a cudgel the, the authorities of the opposite realm. Yeah. So, and uh, so maybe uh, another way to talk about how in an ideal world would church and government work together? Yeah, it's always hard when you start talking in an ideal world, what does that mean? But if, yeah. you, if you look at, uh, in, an, in a truly ideal world, if you went back to the Garden of Eden before the fall, there is no distinction at mm -hmm. all between church and state. The authority they, that they exists are the same. is yeah. the same, it's God. And that's what God promises uh, yeah. when Christ returns, yeah. is that they will be brought together again. There, there was no church in the Garden of Eden, and there will really be no church in heaven. It will just be God's people with God. There will be no institutional authority, and there will be no, there was no government in Adam's and Eve's day in, in Eden, and there will be no government on the last day. The ultimate authority will be God will be God. our king, and, yep. and he will rule, rule in his kingdom. And we as his, as his subjects, as citizens of his kingdom, will perfectly uh, obey our, our heavenly king. Yeah. So as we talk about uh, how church and government work together, support each other, um, ideally, uh, uh, again, the government protects its people. It, it uh, uh, works for justice. Um, it's, it uh, works in a way, it collects, collects taxes so that the commonwealth, the common people, the, uh, the business and activity can run smooth mm -hmm. throughout the country. Um, and um, and and also that the government would recognize the work of God in the church. Yeah. That's a that's a part of uh, uh, what's ideal for the government to recognize uh, what God has given to the church. Yep. And what can the church do? The church encourages people uh, to be law-abiding citizens. Uh, they encourage people. Um, uh, uh, if there is a, a law that needs to be written, they encourage them to do that. Yep. Um, uh, the church also speaks out if the government oversteps their boundary. Um, um, and, and God wants the church to do that. Luther used to talk about uh, um, uh, the, the, the rulers that were in worship 
uh, they hear the, the law and the gospel just like the common people do as they come to church. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, ideally, uh, again, the government would follow the natural laws that God has given and uh, would allow the church the, the freedom and the opportunity to proclaim uh, the gospel, uh, encourage people to come to know Christ, to live out their faith, uh, to share in the means of grace um, so that we can not only have peace, but also have the opportunity to share the love of God with our neighbors. Yeah, I think uh, you touched on most of it. The thing I was thinking when you mentioned what Luther was was saying that popped into my mind was the um, story that Luther, I think you it was he wrote it, he didn't say it, but he was talking about how in government it's far more important that the government be effective um, than than the alternative. He said he would rather he would rather live under the rule of a just and wise Turk, meaning Ottoman Turk, Muslim person, than a foolish and unjust Christian person. And Therein, he's kind of pointing out the distinction of the two realms. He would not want to have a, a, a preacher or a pastor in authority or a, or, or a leader in the church who, who is those things. But when it comes to the left-hand kingdom, it's not predominantly about the gospel. It's predominantly about fulfilling what God has given the government to do, which is to take care of his people. So, yeah. All right. And so as, as Lutheran Christians, our primary responsibility in the right-handed kingdom and the left-handed kingdom, in the right-handed kingdom, we mm-hmm. are to be, again, faithful uh, Christians faithful. of God, uh, uh, to, to hear his word, to trust in him, uh, to forgive those who sin against us, to repent when we sin against someone else. To be disciples and grow in our, in our faith and lead others to do the same. Yeah. yeah. And, and faithful Christians, Lutheran Christians in the left-hand kingdom, again, we support our, our government, we support our laws, um, uh, we, we speak out if, um, if they've overstepped their boundary. That's why one of the things we, we talk about a lot in the Lutheran church is, the, again, the sanctity of life. We mm-hmm. see the importance of uh, that gift of life from God from the time of uh, conception to natural death. And um, this is actually a place on a personal note. I've had to do some growth since uh, my early adult years. As, as a Christian, I was always one of those people who kept silent when it came to um, political things in the church because uh, I didn't want to step out on a limb for a certain political issue, whether it be being pro-life or whether it be um, the, the sacred institution of the, the family or things like that. But I've actually had to grow. It's not comfortable for me to talk this, this way in the midst of uh, the cr- Christian people because I kind of had conflated uh, these two realms without knowing how to really state them. Where I said I had this idea of the separation of church and state. We shouldn't be talking about government things in church. And when I go to the voting poll, I shouldn't be bringing my, you know, my church stuff with me. I should just do what's best for the country. But this doctrine and and flushing it out myself has really helped me to see that it is our responsibility to call a spade a spade. It's not easy for a preacher to stand at the front of a congregation of diverse people and say something like, we should not accept the government's uh, official laws on abortion. It's not easy to, to say that because we know we're, we're, sticking it to somebody in, in the back, sticking the law to somebody in the back. And, and, 
sometimes, a lot, of, a lot of times, arguments that I hear out in the world is people say, well, that's a political issue. Yeah. While it is a political issue, it is also a, 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 a right-handed issue in the church. Yeah, and it's an issue that God has spoken specifically about. Very clearly about. And so you'll never hear a pastor stand up and say something about, you know, tax reform because God doesn't really speak to those issues. But when there are issues that God specifically has spoken to, we can't ignore those issues. We have to, we have to put them out there because that's what we're commanded to do in the right-hand realm. And so, so there are some things that are both political issues and spiritual issues. Yep. And uh, we who are people of God uh, can't step back from the table. We need yeah. to step up to the table and speak about those and uh, set those items on the table. These need to be talked about, yep. and this is what God's Word says. And, and we'll get to those in greater detail later on. We've got an entire session devoted to issues that God cares about. And so we'll, in that session, we will look at His Word. We will see what He has to say on some of these issues. Yeah. All yeah, right. We're kind of running out of time. Yeah, we here. are running out of time. So we have a few announcements, so we'll go ahead and get to those real quick. I uh, want to let you know that in two weeks, in two weeks, uh, we will not have coffee and clergy. And uh, so just mark that on your calendar. Uh, both Pastor Scott and I will be gone on that Wednesday. Yep. And, uh, uh, and then we'll continue with the series after yeah. that. Yeah, so we'll just have a quick, quick break there. And during that week, if you want something to listen to, you can go to our uh, go to our podcast, and you can find one from a previous session that maybe you missed. And so that's uh, that's what we have for today. Uh, again, we thank you for being with us. And shall I close this in prayer? Perfect. Okay, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your good gifts that you give to us in abundance. We thank you for uh, our the government that. Uh, that you've given to us. We thank you for the country and the rights that our country works to, um, uh, to give to us and to keep for us. And at the same time, we also thank you for the church. Uh, we thank you for uh, the gift of your Son and the gift of your Holy Spirit and the, uh, the gift of your Word that teaches us and directs us in how to live as your people. We ask that as we go from uh, this place that we go on our way this day that you would be with us, uh, that you would guide us and lead us, Remind us that we are your people, uh, dearly loved and completely forgiven, and that you have a, a kingdom for us that will never end. And so we thank and praise you for that. And so bless us on our day, and we ask it all in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thanks for being with us. Have a great day in the Lord, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Coffee and Clergy podcast. We're glad you could join the conversation. Coffee and Clergy is a ministry of King of Kings Lutheran Church in Chesterfield, Missouri. You can watch it live on YouTube or Facebook Wednesdays at 9.30 a.m. Central, and we post the podcast on Thursdays. For more information, check out our website at www.kokstl.org. Blessings on your day, and we'll see you next time.